everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with Matt Neglia from the Next Best Picture podcast. We're here to discuss the current state of the Oscar race and the season in general. So good morning, Matt. Good morning, Jeffrey. So so tell us, I guess before we start, tell us about the Next Best Picture podcast and how it came about. Would you mind? Yeah, so I mean, I graduated uh, from college with a film degree, didn't really know what to do with it. I was working a non-film related job and just one day I was sitting at home and I decided to start a website and start something where I just, you know, expressed my love for the craft of filmmaking and for the Oscars, which is like my Super Bowl and something that I revolved my entire year around. So... That kind of was the genesis of Next Best Picture, where we're always looking for what's going to be the Next Best Picture winner year long. And it's kind of just blown up, uh, originally starting with me. Now I have an entire army of uh, writers and people who come on the podcast, and we have this whole really, really great community. And it's really blown up bigger than I could have ever possibly imagined. And for me, it just always keeps going back to that original feeling of I just want to talk about movies and I just want to share that enthusiasm and love with others around the world so well that's great I've become a fan myself so and in fact one of your staff writers happens to be one of my colleagues at Gold Derby Tom O'Brien ah yes love Tom he is fantastic yes he is so so I guess today what we're going to be discussing is, uh, I guess, current state of what the Oscar telecast is shaping up. And in a half hour or so, we'll be discussing our current predictions on the top eight categories, which are picture, director, acting, and screenplay. So first, let's, tar- let's talk about the big news that came about last night. Okay, so for those who haven't been following along, the Academy a while ago announced that they were going to move some categories off the Oscar telecast and present them during commercials. A lot of people are furious about it, but yesterday it was announced after so much protest from We Film Twitter to the industry that Ikami will present all 24 categories on the air, so your reaction, Matt, to the news? Yay! (laughs) I mean, like, this was something that from the time it was announced back in August, a lot of people were upset about Best Popular Film. I mean, I was too, because... Honestly, I viewed it as a very cheap way to reward Black Panther because they were cowardly and thinking that, oh, it may not get a Best Picture nomination, so let's make sure we acknowledge it. And I just thought it was being done for the wrong reasons. Uh, The ratings were another reason as well. And that kind of bled into this decision to air certain categories during the commercial breaks to keep the show down to three hours, all for the sake of ratings. And it's like when your reasoning is... Is corporate greed and it's so blatantly obvious like who's gonna get down with that and who actually is really going to support such a decision not to mention uh just the you know the the thing that makes the the, the academy so pure and so great is its tradition it's you know almost 100 years old and they honor all aspects of filmmaking it's not like they're selective like a lot of the other award shows are the golden globes don't really do tech awards the the baftas come you know the closest but uh they don't have as many tech awards or do um you know just as many as the oscars do and the critics choice you know whatever <laughs> and so the uh the oscars have always been uh you know kind of the gold standard if you will and to see them take that away all in favor of trying to capture an audience that doesn't give a shit about the oscars anyway it just felt so disrespectful and such a stab in the heart to those like myself who really take this award show very seriously Yes, in fact, uh, another one of my colleagues at Gold Derby, Amanda Spears, started this whole hashtag that went to present all 24, which I did a few times, like one of the most recent, in fact, probably the most recent one I did. I mentioned a moment at the Tony Awards in 2015. Now, the Tony Awards have done this in recent years where they present certain categories during 
commercials, which I understand because, look, they have multiple musical performances going on, so they don't have time to do everything they want on air. So, But I did mention this moment. In 2015, Janine Tesori and Lisa Krohn both made history as the first all-female writing team to have won the Tony for Best Original Score for Fun Home, yet a lot of people were angry because that moment was only presented during commercials. And then I replied, wouldn't want the Academy to run into a problem like that. <laughs> so, and think and imagine Glenn Weiss's marriage proposal being presented during commercials at the Emmys this past year instead of on the telecast. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're you're robbing people of a spontaneous moment that could produce, you know, great TV. And this whole idea that we only care about the categories that have famous people in them, um, I, I just think it's very disingenuous and it's, it's not something that uh, I think that they should be focusing on, you know, TV ratings are down across the board. The Super Bowl was down this year, for goodness sake. They need to accept the fact that ratings are not down for the Oscars um, because people are not interested anymore. More people than ever are interested in the Oscars. The reason why ratings are down is that that's just the world we live in. And they need to accept that instead of trying to reclaim former glory that they once had. Because the reality is that it is not going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, it all just comes back to ad revenue money and just this corporate greed from ABC and Disney. And it's just... Like, you know, if this was a film script, you know, they would be the villains of this movie. <laughs> and it's just like, like, I don't know how in God's name anyone would be okay with the reasoning behind these decisions. Well, yes. In fact, uh, William Friedkin, who's the great Academy Award winning filmmaker behind The French Connection, tweeted uh, two days ago that if the Academy wants to shorten the telecast, they should start by cutting speeches by the Academy president, the head of the M. PWA and Price Waterhouse. There should only be one presenter per category, and they should preset uh, so no lame repartee reparti jokes or uh, no lame repartee or jokes. That's his tweet. You know, uh, one of the things I suggested was I don't understand why they have to do these best picture. Um, presentations throughout the show. We're going to get like eight moments in the night where people are going to come up on the stage and present one of the best picture nominees. And they're going to show like a quick, you know, clip and something like that. And that's the only category that they do that for throughout the evening. But I think that that's something right there. If you want to cut a couple of minutes, you know, that's something that can go. Um, Taking away the songs or like, I mean, Geez, like all these different ideas and suggestions that they had, I'm just like, what? Like, I just don't understand it. I mean, Chris Tapley had a great idea of moving the short categories to their own awards night, which, listen, no disrespect to the shorts. The shorts are always very interesting, very good, and they deserve to be there for, you know, they're for a reason. But they're so, to me, they're so disconnected from all the other awards because there is no crossover. You're not going to get a documentary short nominated for best original score or anything like that. So why not have the shorts on their own night? And you can also then add some, you know, categories maybe for best cinematography in a short, best score in a short, best editing in a short, make it its own thing. And, I think that would be really cool, and that's three awards right there that you could get off the telecast. So, I don't know. There, there's definitely ways to do this, but what they decided to do with selecting four random categories, and by the way, random my ass, because as many people pointed out, not a single Disney film had a, a nomination in any one of the four categories, and when you take the total combined gross – um, the live action short category aside of makeup, editing, and cinematography, they were the three lowest grossing categories of the nominees within. So, yeah, that was, I don't think that that was exactly random in my mind. Well, yes. And in fact, I should point out that, okay, like there were other, you know, 
I, I know, of course, this year's telecast has gone through so many problems from, obviously, the popular film award, the, the lack of nominees for song performing, but or the previous winners not coming back to present this year, but of course, there are those... Of course, those problems are solved, and uh, not to mention that fact. Oh, yeah, and as well as the host, where Kevin Hart was announced, but of course, he ran into problems where he had to quit. So this year, we'll have no host, so that can be helpful in making this year's telecast shorter. Yeah, I mean, you cut out the opening monologue. That's 10 minutes right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, they'll have... You know, um, they'll have Lady Gaga perform, you know, open up the show with a musical number. That's one thing that you can get out of the way, you know, very quickly. And then, you know, the musical numbers don't have to be the full length of the song, you know. Hell, they could even just do a, a medley and get the whole entire segment done in eight minutes or less if they really wanted to. Like, there's there, there's, there are ways to get this down to three hours and have your cake and eat it, too. I mean, the Critics' Choice Awards this year handed out more than 20 categories and their show was what two hours long no maybe it was three hours i don't remember but either way they did it <laughs> so well, yes yeah, so, i don't see what the problem is here well yeah plus last year's emmys managed to present 27 categories within three hours there you go there you go i mean we've had a couple of a show a couple of shows uh, since the announcement that we've looked at as this is possible and the, the fact that they had to resort to even thinking that, oh, we'll present categories during the commercial breaks to make it possible, it just came off as the priorities were in the wrong place. And I want to also just take a moment to, yes, definitely acknowledge Amanda Spears for creating that hashtag, PresentAll24. That gave someone like myself the ammunition that I needed to just blast, 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 blast on social media constantly Get that hashtag going. I mean, I'm not taking credit or anything like that, but I'm very, very thankful that something like that existed because, like I said, it gave myself and a bunch of others the opportunity to get our voices heard. And luckily, the Academy has reversed their decision. Tradition is going to be honored. But it's also not a good look because, I mean, let's face it, whatever little integrity and credibility they've had left after this whole run-up to this award season is definitely shot to hell at this point. But, hey, you know what? Like, we're getting the show that we want. Uh, There won't be a host. It will be interesting to see how they combat that. It will be three hours long, which may be a positive in the long run. I think that, you know, the biggest thing was always going to be this disingenuous popular film award, which was only seen as a ratings grab or as a way to reward Black Panther if it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And presenting the categories as they're pre- uh, presenting them or, or lack thereof with taking some of them and putting during the commercial breaks. That was the thing that was more pressing. I don't know why we didn't make noise about this sooner, but God – Nine days before the ceremony itself and the fact that we got this reversed, I mean, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I'm happy as hell. <laughs> yes, and in fact, your idea of opening the show with a nominated song, that's what they did two years ago with Justin Timberlake performing Can't Stop the Feeling. From and that was great. Yeah. So, I mean, open up the show with Gaga and Cooper doing Shallow. Maybe, you know, have that, uh, you know, when, when Gaga has her big, oh! moment you know whatever in the song have that like you know go into some sort of a montage and you know i don't know like there's there's ways that they can make it really cool and a lot of fun and i'm sure whatever presenters they did get for the non-acting categories because obviously the past winners will be there for that thank god once again that's another tradition i was like don't get rid of that Mm -hmm. i'd rather have allison janney present you know best supporting actor than have uh, Chris Evans presented for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm at a point where I'm just like, okay, I finally feel like I can watch the show and feel good about watching the show. Like, like all my anxiety and stress is gone, and it's just such a relief. And now we can worry about the Academy rewarding the wrong films now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and you also mentioned how, you know, there were times when, you know, they would pr- present clips from Best Picture nominees throughout the night. Well, I mean, there were a few years where it seemed like they would present multiple Best Picture clips at random, which was weird. And the last two years, they did the clips all 
well, they didn't do them throughout the night. They only did them at the end at the presentation of Best Picture, which, if you ask me, that's I think that should be the way to go. Yes, totally. Just do it right at the end. Because, like, doing this whole uh, pre- presentation throughout the evening and then getting to the big award and then saying the nominees again – Oh, like as a refresher anyway, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's I, – I just never understood that. I, I don't see why that's necessary. Well, well, hopefully it's a notes Donna Gelati and Glenn Weiss take from Michael Duluka and Jennifer Todd. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, another thing too is like I know John Bailey is getting a lot of flack for all of this. And I think that he should because at the end of the day, he is the figurehead for all this. Although I do acknowledge that. I understand that he is not solely to blame for all of these mistakes. There's a lot of people, a lot of checks and balances involved, and it's not just one person. But as the leader, underneath what has been by far the worst lead-up to an Oscar ceremony in my lifetime, um, he should take full responsibility and resign with dignity, I think. Amen. So... Yes, in fact, I happen to be Facebook friends with, uh, well, with a member of the makeup branch of the Academy. I asked him how he felt about the makeup category going to commercials this year, and he was not happy about it, and he was planning to boycott. But then when I sent him the news that the decision was being reversed, he was thrilled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people in my industry and in my day job. Uh, I work I work basically with cinematographers. Mm. And when the news broke that cinematography was one of the awards um like you said people were not happy at all i mean a lot of them just felt incredibly disrespected and puzzled too because you know on a personal level they feel disrespected but on a broader level like really of all the awards you're going to hand out during the commercial break cinematography like one of the key most essential award uh, well key most essential aspects of filmmaking you know so many people pointed out online without editing cinematography you have no movie yeah so it, it it was i mean i was baffled by the decision to have those two uh put there i thought for sure when this whole thing was first announced uh way back when i i was so so confident that it was going to be three of the shorts like so all three of the shorts were gone and then one tech nominee like one of the sounds you know like oh we'll get rid of sound editing and we'll keep sound mixing on the show this year but then when they said it was going to be random i still in my never but never in my wildest dreams thought it would be editing and cinematography that would get lumped in there and you know it's funny because had they had not made this decision to present all 24 and they said Oh, okay, yeah, sorry, everyone that's uh, complaining about editing and cinematography, we've now replaced that with um, costume design and, you know, best sound editing, all right? Then you'd have the sound branch and the costumers uh, guild, you know, going nuts and doing the same exact thing anyway. So it's a a lose-lose situation, no matter what they did. The best decision was to just get rid of the idea completely. They did it last minute, but hey, you know what? I'm glad that it happened anyway, because... God, I mean, I know that, like, they've rolled back on so many things that they've implemented this year, but, I mean, I'm glad that at least they're coming to their senses and realizing that the ideas they had are not good. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, yes, and in fact, if it happened last year where some categories, including cinematography, was presented during commercials, we would not have seen Roger Deakins finally win an award. Well, that's the thing. There's, there's sometimes these, um, you know, a lot of people years ago, especially even those that are film fans or call themselves film fans, like we're not that invested in the technical categories. And so, you know, what you get a lot of the time throughout the evening at the Oscars is you don't really get the build up from least important award in the minds of others to best picture. You kind of get like this scattered presentation style where they start off with supporting actor, then you kind of go through the text, animated feature and stuff. You sprinkle certain awards throughout that people are more invested in before you get to the big ones, uh, actor, actress, picture, director. And what I... What I found like very uh, interesting about all of this is that um, 
Oh crap, uh, Jeffrey! I actually lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I, I was gonna make a, actually I was gonna make a really great point, and now I, I I actually lost it. I'm sorry. It's early in the morning over here, and I haven't had my coffee yet. Uh, damn it! I, I was also off uh, last night getting pissed drunk uh, because I was so happy about the news uh, from yesterday that I had to go out and celebrate. So uh, I'm a little slow this morning. Uh, damn it! I forgot what my point was going to be. Well, please, please come up with a good segue right now. Maybe well, it'll come uh, back to me. Okay. And also, if the sound categories were presented during commercials two years ago, we would not have seen Kevin O'Connell finally win oh, an Oscar. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Okay. I was going to lead up to – yes, yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I was going to say that you know the smaller awards have become uh, more important in recent years because we're starting to finally get to know some of the people behind these craft categories. You know, Roger Deakins is the most popular cinematographer alive today. Kevin O'Connell had this whole narrative that got published in a bunch of the trades with how many nominations he's had that when he got up to that stage and he gave that exuberant speech and he was like thanking his parents and everything, the crowd just erupted for him. Like, the thing that they really need to do with the tech categories to make people care, like this is this is something that honestly, if anyone from the academy is listening right now, I mean, like this is a no brainer in my opinion. They should be doing like profiles and they should be doing like edited videos or something like that to highlight these nominees in these tech categories, talking about their work, what they've been through in their lives, their careers. Like, if these are unknowns to the general public, do everything you can to make them known. I, I saw Fox Searchlight the other day put out a video on Robbie Ryan and his uh, cinematography on The Favorite, and it's like someone could watch this and not know who Robbie Ryan is or what went into his work with this film. And now they can walk away from that having a better idea. Like to me, that's just a no brainer. Um, make get if you want people to get emotionally invested in the show, so that they don't think the show is just Hollywood patting themselves on the back for three hours. Get them to care about the nominees, and it's not just what film they got nominated for, which is what they seem to equate this to. You know, it's not about that. These are individuals. These are people with careers, and these are people that have been through adversity. Highlight that. Like, get get people in the interviews and get those things out there. You know. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, and I remember a lot of. Oh, well, I hold. I actually hold a Facebook group chat with some of my colleagues at Gold Derby, and when I sent the news of all these changes, a lot of them were, of course, as furious as we were. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this brought about nothing but outrage, and I can understand if somebody wants to play devil's advocate and, you know, say, oh, let's, let's, let's just see where this all goes and how it plays out, you know, don't knock it until you try it. I think that once we start giving an inch, they're going to take away an entire foot, you know, and that's like, that's just, that's how I felt about this whole process was we give them these four awards during the commercial breaks. What's next? What else is on the table? What else are we willing to sacrifice? And for what? Mm-hmm. And for what? So that my colleagues at work who don't really care as much might watch I mean, even if they did watch, they're not going to care enough to keep watching. I just like – to me, it was just backwards logic. You should be catering towards your current fan base. I mean there were so many people I saw who outwardly said, I'm not going to watch the show on ABC this year. I'll just stream the show because I don't want to give them the satisfaction of the ratings. I, like I want the ratings to go down because that's all they seem to care about, and that's you know that's going to have its own consequences, I'm sure. Uh, because, you know, I'm sure ABC Disney will tighten the, uh, you know, tighten down the hatches and like really, you know, put the pressure on them uh, next year. I mean, if we thought this was bad, if the ratings go down again with Gaga and Black Panther and Avengers, you know, being nominated for certain categories. Yes, and Bohemian uh, Rhapsody. Yeah, I mean, I shudder to think what ideas might be put forward next year. But the best thing that they can honestly do is... Just take a step back, look at the fact that ratings are down for everything everywhere. They're still the highest rated show throughout the year next to the Super Bowl. Exactly. What more do you want? You're not going to be as big as the Super Bowl. So, like, I don't get it. It's it, 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 it's, 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 it's greed. It's, it's greed. They're not content with what they have, and they want more. And that's something that 
greed has just got an, a negative connotation to it. It's something that, you know, we think of in storytelling 101 as, a, you know, as a trait that a villain holds. How in God's name are we okay with this as the reasoning behind these decisions? I, it, like, And as a result of which, you're going to get passionate people like me. You're going to get passionate people like Amanda Spears, like yourself, people that have voices on social media. And we're going to voice our displeasure. So suck it up, Academy. This is the way it works. <laughs> yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And it isn't broken. You just need to adapt. Matt and I are now joined by one of my colleagues from Gold Derby, Cordell Martin. Hello, Cordell. Hello. Yes, so we're now going to be discussing where our current predictions lie in the top eight categories at the Oscars, starting with Best Picture, which seems to be a little up in the air at this point. Like, there's different films are winning different guilds, like Green Book won the PGA, Roma won the DGA, and, uh, and uh, Black Panther won the SAG Ensemble, so... So, where do you all stand at this point, uh, Cordell? Actually, those are the three films that, you know, I'm kind of playing around at who's going to be my final prediction. Um, I would say just based on precursors and the awards for Romo, probably the one to pick. However, I just don't know if the Academy's ready to embrace a film that was released on Netflix yet. Um, also, with it being a horror film. Um, I'm not sure if they'll be able to pull out the win. Therefore, I'm thinking probably Green Book as a spoiler. I feel like it's more of a safe choice um, that the Academy can feel good about. Um, but then also Black Panther, though it doesn't have the support with a director nomination, writing, or acting, it's just one of those crazy years in award season that Black Panther could come off uh, the surprise of the year and win Best Picture. Yes, and it's also worth noting that Roma was completely absent at SAG, which is the one awards group that shows the most love to Netflix, and it does not have an editing nomination, which can be fatal, like, I mean, we saw Birdman overcome that stat a few years ago, though, but before then, it it hadn't been since 1980 when Ordinary People won Best Picture without an editing nomination. A lot of people thought Brokeback Mountain would overcome that stat, but no, it ends up being much more fatal than everyone anticipated. So, Matt, where are you? on this race. I, I really needed Black Klansman to win a major precursor heading into this uh, into this night because it's so funny. You just all mentioned how everything's kind of got a knock against it, right? Black Panther doesn't have above the line. Green Book's missing director. Roma's missing editing and the Netflix biasness. Black Klansman has all of that. And I was like, insanely gobsmacked over the fact that Black Klansman couldn't win a, you know, the SAG Ensemble or Spike Lee didn't pull a surprise Tom Hooper a DGA win over uh, Alfonso Cuarón who's been steamrolling the whole season like David Fincher before him you know and I and I just kept thinking to myself like when is Klansman gonna get the thing that makes the most sense of it this way I could feel secure about picking it for adapted screenplay Spike Lee for director maybe or I just had to pull a spotlight and have it when screenplay and picture and that hasn't happened so now i am forced to choose one of these other uh picks here because i have to go by stats in this instance right i kind of have to you know the preferential ballot is something that i know rewards passion um however statistically speaking you know if you go back to other years uh la la land excluded the film that had uh, the strongest set of stats heading into the evening was the one that won Best Picture. You know, Spotlight had the SAG Ensemble Award. It had won a Critics' Choice. It had the writing win. And I think that the thing that scares me is if you're picking Green Book to win Best Picture, you've got to pick Green Book to win for Ali and Screenplay. I don't think Green Book is winning with just Ali. Um, so... And I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that Green Book is beating the favorite in screenplay. I just have a very hard time with that. So I kind of then default to, yes, I think it could be Panther. And I think this could be that whole example of new members within the Academy breaking the precursor tradition and just going their own way. Um... But I think it's more likely that Black Panther will win a tech or two below, and all other signs point towards 
Roma. It's got director in a walk. You know, DGA is a better predictor for Best Picture than any of the other precursors out there, honestly. And I know we've seen a lot of splits in recent years because of the preferential ballot. I get that with picture and director. But Roma, when you think, when you like, when you just look at this crop of nominees here, Roma is the one film that I think we can all agree on in 50 years' time when we look back at all of the best picture winners of all time. Casablanca, Silence of the Lambs, The Godfather. Roma is the one film of these eight that just has that prestige factor and fits in so nice and comfortably with those all-time great classic films. So I'm picking Roma. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to pick Roma myself. I mean, and, and of course, you mentioned the screenplay races, which we'll get to momentarily. But yeah, the Writers Guild Awards are tomorrow, and where Black Klansman is likely to win adapted screenplays, at least have that going into the Oscars. And of course, the favorite isn't eligible at the Writers <sighs> Guild Awards. So <laughs> make things so much easier if it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so if Green Book wins, that'll be its chief competition. Though if Roma pulls a surprise at the WGA, then that could definitely be a sign. And that would be shades of Moonlight beating out uh, La La Land and Manchester by the Sea, which we all believe probably canceled each other out, paving the way for Moonlight to win that race that year at the WGA. I would not. I would not knock off the idea that Roma could do a similar thing just based on passion alone. And, you know, who knows? Maybe people within the writer's branch just look at Green Book and they, they feel the same way we do. Like, ugh, yeah. we're going to pick that, you know? Well, well, yes. In fact, there would literally be history repeating itself with Driving Miss Daisy winning Best Picture without a directing nomination. And Spike Don't Lee's speak film. that evil into this world. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare. And Spike Lee's film, Do the Right Thing, underperforming. Uh, I can't even. Yeah. <sighs> so I, guess... I just want to see Spike Lee's reaction shot uh, if that happens. That's all I want. Oh, me too. He's going to be over it. Okay, <laughs> uh, well, hey, at least he's likely to win his first competitive Oscar this year. Which is going to be awesome. That'll be a great moment. I think that that's one of the uh, one of the categories. I mean, I am waiting to see what WGA does because let's be honest. If Beale Street, if let me rephrase this, if if Beale Street, there we go, can uh, win WGA, uh, that would be that would give me pause. That's part of the reason why I'm not ready to say that Spike Lee has that completely locked up just yet. If he wins WGA, yes. But if Bill Street could talk with WGA, that coupled along with Critics' Choice, that 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 puts... I mean, I know Black Clansman's got the Best Picture win. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, nomination. But mm, from a precursor standpoint, that'll be tough. Yes. Though, though it is worth noting that the last time the film that wasn't nominated for Best Picture won adapted screenplay was Gods and Monsters 20 years ago. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so of course that was back when there were only five Best Picture nominees where Academy members didn't really have as much of merch to want to spread the wealth. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, I, I'm leaning towards Klansman for sure. I'm just not ready to declare it a lock until after WGA announces Okay, we shall see. So again, more on the writing races later. So let's get to Best Director, which is one of well, already a lock at this point for Alfonso. Lock. Yeah, lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when did we have a sweeper, uh, like a f- complete sweeper, Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, DGA, BAFTA, lose the Oscar in Best Director? It hasn't happened. Well, has, <laughs> so. well, I believe the last time I've been 2000 where Ang Lee was sweeping through all those awards for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, while Steven Soderbergh was contending for two different films, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, and he was always canceling himself out. So I believe, I heard Chris Beecham talk about this, saying that Soderbergh apparently went to his agency, well, apparently started throwing lets the industry focus on one film more, which was Traffic, thus he pulled the opposite. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I think, didn't didn't Soderbergh have at least one major precursor heading into that race, though, if I remember correctly? I'm looking it up. Yeah, I could have sworn he had something. Like, it wasn't a complete, complete shocker. Um, But, yeah, I think you'd have to go all the way back to that um, to find a situation like this one where... 
if any, I mean, like at this point, who's beating Corone anyway? Like, who's the number two? It's it's not been a competitive year, you know. Well, yeah, I guess the closest thing would be Spike Lee, especially with the new members probably wanting to see a black filmmaker win for the first time. Oh, God, I want it so badly. Me too. And who better than Spike to carry that? I mean, honestly, him or him, Jenkins and McQueen, I mean, would be fantastic, either one of them. But Spike is like the OG. Spike is one that has made black filmmaking so prominent, especially during a time where it was just rallying against the system, the Hollywood system. And like he helped pave the way for all these other filmmakers to come along. I, I God, I just wanted him to win it so badly. I'm, I'm happy for Coron. I love his work. I think it's worthy, deserving work. And it's so different than what he did in gravity. So, you know, if it was the same as what he did in gravity, like if it was another CGI spectacle, I would call it lazy and that they're like defaulting to it. Um, but Roma is such a, an achievement on another level. So I, I don't begrudge Alfonso Cuarón winning again. Um, I'll feel bad if Guillermo del Toro now doesn't win uh, again to complete the, uh, the double along with his buddies. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I have to say my heart is really with Spike. Yeah. In fact, I looked it up and yes, Steven Soderbergh did win a precursor prize leading up to the Oscars. It was Best Director at the Critics' Choice Awards for Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. There you go. So, I mean, it wasn't a complete sweep. <laughs> you know, there's no way. It's going to Coron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, now on to Best Actor, which is already another luck at this point. This time for Robin Malik. Is it, though? Is it? Well, well, that's true. Because the last time we saw someone sweep through all the precursor prizes for in an acting race, it was Russell Crowe for A Beautiful Mind. He was winning every single precursor leading up to the Oscars. It looked like he was about to follow in the footsteps of Spencer Tracy and Tom Hanks as Best Actor winner two years in a row. Yet, he had his meltdown at BAFTA, which pretty much cost him the Oscar. Thus, Denzel Washington won for Training Day. Well, Rami Malek hasn't thrown a phone at anybody. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I will say this. Malik is going to win. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've heard, people I've talked to, everyone is voting for him. It's still kind of confusing to me, um, but I, you know, I have to just throw my hands up in the air and admit defeat and just say, okay, let's roll with it at a certain point. Um, I'm still very shocked. I'm like extremely shocked that Bradley Cooper is not winning his first Oscar. Uh, for this movie, for this year. It, it's still, it doesn't, from a narrative standpoint, it just doesn't make sense to me. But um, I will say that I do believe, even though Bale has won Critics' Choice and he won the Globe, I think Cooper is number two to Malick because of a passion sympathy vote, possibly, that could have happened within the last couple of weeks since the nominations. Um but I mean, but let me be clear. I think Malik is winning. <laughs> yeah, same here. I think the race is a done deal. Once Malik won, Sag and BAFTA, that was it for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you know, if he had shown a crack somewhere, right? If like if he had lost BAFTA to Bale, let's say, which would have made sense, you know, uh, them, them honoring, uh, you know, their homeboy over there who hasn't won still. Um, you know, he was passed over in 2010 for Jeffrey Rush. I don't know. That would have shown a crack for Malik, and uh, I still wouldn't have picked Bale. Actually, I don't think uh, to win. I still probably would have been leaning more towards Cooper. And I don't know if that's so much my biasness getting in the way, but I but I have felt that there was this outrage and sympathy, especially online, for him. And I don't know. I was hoping that that would catch wind and people would rally around him, you know, within the Academy. But everything we've been hearing so far from these anonymous uh, Oscar voter um, articles that have gone out, and just through my own on the ground like you know well, not on the ground but like through emails you know talking to people and stuff like that uh, everyone seems to be in the ma- on the Malik train so yeah I don't think there's as much to talk about with this one as there is with the other acting categories yeah. and why do you guys think that Bradley Cooper you know didn't gain that traction to be the front runner as we all predicted originally well I have a reason well I have a moral theory well, it's hard for actors to direct themselves to Oscar wins. Just ask Denzel Washington for Fences. I think too many people view him as, while they like him, 
I think a lot of people just view it as an entitled, preordained Oscar win, and people didn't want to give it to him that easily. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think also with A Star is Born being one of those early front runners, oftentimes, you know, that can be, uh, that can cause major backlash because it's just like, okay, you're telling us who to vote for, this film is amazing, and I think also just like how hard Uber and Gaga, you know, campaign, I think it turned a few people off throughout the award season too, so... He also didn't do himself any favors by not campaigning for himself. Um, not to say that he should have been selfish and been all about me, 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 because I'm sure people would have taken that out of context and spun it the way they wanted to to derail him anyway. But he's been extremely gracious throughout this whole process to highlight her first and foremost over himself, which is what which is what he should be doing. But I think the thing that he also did on top of that that took away from his chances to win an actor was he really, really wanted to be taken seriously as a director and he didn't campaign himself well enough to win for Best Actor, which if he paid attention to Gold Derby or NextBestPicture.com, he would have seen we, we were all predicting him to win, you know, early on. So... Like, he should have just taken that from his PR people and just run with it. But, you know, and yeah, and listen, the guy made a hell of a film. He's going to keep working. He's going to keep making more. Um, he's, what, 44 now? Yeah. Um, yeah I, think. I think, I don't know. I don't want to say his time to win is over. I mean, there'll be other people that will come along, I'm sure. But he might have another chance in the future. Maybe there will be a makeup uh, somewhere, especially if he makes another film that, Maybe it is an original work. Exactly. It's like the fourth adaptation, and it's just something that's very undeniable. Um, I could, I could see, I could see the momentum building up for him once again. I mean, now he's got what? How many? Like, he's got just as many nominations now as what? Paul Thomas Anderson or something? I don't even know. Like, he, like, Glenn it's Close. crazy. <laughs> he has as many nominations as Glenn Close now. There you go. <laughs> Yes, yes, and it's also funny because, you know, Rami Malek is lip-syncing to the real Freddie Mercury, which, hey, you might as well get a great double like him, <laughs> while Bradley Cooper's doing his own singing. I mean, we saw how Hedda Hopper claimed Audrey Hepburn's performance in My Fair Lady was half a performance, you know, she was apparently the one who got word out that Hepburn's singing was dubbed, which pretty much cost her a nomination that year. Yeah, I, you know, it's just, I rewatched Bohemian Rhapsody recently. My roommate was watching it on screener, and um, I, I, I decided to watch it, you know, with him as well. And, like, we're watching it together, and I asked him, I'm like, what do you think of this? Like, what do you think of, you know, Malik and, you know, what he's doing? And he was like, I think he's doing too much mouth acting. And I was like, what? And he says to me, yeah, he's, like, moving his mouth, like, constantly. Like, like always his lips are moving, and he's, like, his mouth is always twitching. And I'm like, that's probably the prosthetic teeth. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it's just a, he's like, it's a weird performance where it almost feels like he was uncomfortable with those prosthetic teeth. And then on top of that, I think that the writing of that film has a huge, huge part to play in why some people are not liking Malik's performance in the movie. Um, I know the two should be separated, but I definitely think the gay shaming that goes on in that film is something that it's quite undeniable at times. And um, I think that the way Malik has handled some of the things that have been thrown at him on the press tour, th this is what I thought was going to actually hurt him was people really saying, hey, this movie brings up some questionable issues regarding sexuality um, and the gay community when you guys are saying that it's this, you know, trailblazing movie that unites us all and everything, and it's like, we're, I, 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 I needed the media to hit him harder in order for him to show a sign of weakness, but instead, I gotta say, that entire PR team has handled this extremely well. They've been able to avoid the singer controversy. They've been able to avoid the media, the film Twitter backlash controversy to some of the issues I just you know, brought up. But man, that makes me not want to vote for Malik because I still, to this day, can't understand why he won't just publicly... Um, I don't understand why he just won't publicly acknowledge the singer issue. That's the thing that kept getting me, and I was hoping that more people would latch on to that, and you know, <sighs> whatever. It, it is what it is. It's it's a fine performance. It's just not, it's not the best of that category. Whatever. <laughs> 
so. I'm over it at this point. Like, I'm over talking about it. I'm just like, I'm done. It's going to happen. There's no point in arguing, you know? Yeah, so I it guess... Is what it is. So I guess that now makes a good segue to Best Actress, which is, I guess, a little more interesting. So, so uh, Matt, does uh, Glenn Close have it, or does BAFTA winner Olivia Coleman have a shot? So, the last situation... I did some stat uh, research uh, the other day. The last situation since the uh, Critics' Choice have been handing out awards. So this is going back to, I believe, uh, wait, is it Critics' Choice or SAG? I think it's SAG. Since SAG has been handing out awards since 1994, um, there has only been one instance where the Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and SAG winner lost to a BAFTA Golden Globe winner, and that was Marion Cotillard beating Julie Christie. Uh, back in 2007, I believe it was. I don't think that that's happening here. Uh, Close has never won before, where Julie Christie had won before. I cannot, for the life of me, see a scenario, especially now that Amy Adams is not winning in supporting actress, I cannot see how the overdue narrative for Close does not bring her to that win. And it's also a good performance. This whole, can Glenn Close do this, that film Twitter's been doing and stuff like that, shut the hell up, all right? <laughs> yeah. She's fine in the wife. It's fine. Like, let it go. It's it's Julianne Moore and still Alice all over again, where the performance is not an all-timer. It's good enough. Let's get Glenn Closer Oscar, and let's be happy about it. Chill, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I think, you know, it's Glenn Close's time as you can sense with the industry love that she's received. Um, you know, originally I thought it was between Coleman and, and Gaga, but once Glenn Close won the Golden Globe and gave that amazing speech, I knew the race was over. Yeah. She's finally going to win her Oscar. So and it's long overdue. You know, I feel like giving her roses now while she's alive to receive them. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, how many, you know, how many instances, how, how many Albert Finneys, mm-hmm. you know, need to need to leave this world without an Oscar before we, you know, can finally start saying to ourselves, like, yes, this needs to happen. Yeah. Let's make yeah. this happen. You, could also you know, and you can't that. make it happen everywhere. You know, you can't give Sam Elliott, Amy Adams, Glenn Close Oscars all on the same night. But, you know, this one is one that the stars have aligned. It's there. I'm not saying that if Coleman won, I would be upset. Um... But this is something that I definitely feel very strongly, regardless of what you think of the film, um, this is something that should happen. Yes. And you can also say the same thing about Richard Burton, Pedro O'Toole, Deborah Carr, and Thelma Ritter. Exactly. So, so yeah, I guess now on to an easier race, Best Supporting Actor. It seems Mahershala Ali is on his way to win a second Oscar within... Oh, not Sam Rockwell? What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, Ali. Okay, you know, I wish it was Grant. I think Grant gave by far the best supporting performance of the year. I think he's been the best on the campaign trail. He's been the best at utilizing social media. He's been the best at showing everyone that he's having the time of his life and he's happy. Could you guys imagine the level of exuberance that he would show in his acceptance speech if he won? It would be more insane than when Eddie Redmayne had his wow, you know, moment. I, I, I like I firmly believe it would be a television moment to see Richard E. Grant win supporting actor for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Alas, it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, and I even predict a Grant to win the Critics' Choice in BAFTA. Yeah, I, you know, and honestly, like, I remember early on in the season, I remember uh, my trajectory before the madness all started. It was Ali would win Globe because he didn't win Globe before. Yeah. Grant would win Critics' Choice and BAFTA, and I had a feeling Elliot would win SAG. That was like my, you know, that was like my roadmap. So when he won Critics' Choice, I was like, oh, okay, we're, what? And then he won Globe, and I'm like, all right, to be expected. And then I was hoping somebody else, you know, what, what it's really just come down to is, I think it's two things. I think it's True Detective. Um, airing, you know, showing Mahershala's range, you know, during this time, even though True Detective is not really so much in the zeitgeist as it was before, maybe, but I think it has a factor, and then I also think the second thing is those who really love Green Book but 
are ashamed maybe to put it in other categories for a win. This is the one place where they know that they can give it a vote. And it's a vote for the film, and it's a vote for the film that they love, and they can get away with it without any controversy of any kind, because Ali's pretty untouchable there in terms of the controversy this season. So, yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, originally, once there was the Green Book controversy, especially from um, Shirley's family, I thought that that would hurt Ali, but to your point, I think this will be the way to award the film, and then also with him being a black actor... Um, it's not the stereotypical role that, you know, oftentimes comes with that backlash of, you know, black performers winning Oscars. So he's not like playing a slave or a butler or anything along that nature. Um, he's playing someone that's dignified and is a trailblazer. So I think it's going to go to him. Um, if this was any other year, I would be more tempted to go with Richard Grant because this is usually the category where they recognize those veteran actors. Um, who put in the work and they finally give them their due and he would definitely fit that narrative, but it's not an so hopefully we can come back as a nominee and future winner. Yeah, so I guess okay. now on to a, a more interesting race, best supporting actress, so Cordell, I'm going to go to you first, Cordell. That's huh? girl Regina King still have a shot of winning despite her snubs at SAG and BAFTA. Listen, I am a huge repeat fan, fan. I'm going all the way with her. I know the stats are not in her favor, but I think she's still going to pull this off. Um, you know, granted, if Bill Street didn't do as well with the nominations, you know, Regina King's just one of those individuals that people in the industry love. However, she didn't get a SAG nomination, but... Um, just even with her Emmy wins, you know, her last win for seven seconds, she was the only nominee for that project, and she still won. But you um, and, then, and then also just with the with the list of nominees, I mean, Emma Stone and Rachel already have an Oscar. Marina, I think it's more of, you know, based on her performance, the nomination is her reward. And then Amy Adams, just that narrative of being overdue just didn't stick. So... I'm going to go Regina King. Do the toss. Well, I'd be happy about that. So I currently have the BAFTA winner Rachel Weisz repeating like Mark Rylance did a few years ago when Stallone is still at SAG and BAFTA. Now, obviously, this is a different scenario because Regina King is much more respected from an acting standpoint than Stallone was. And still, like Stallone, she's the only one in her category who isn't in a Best Picture nominee. So, uh, Matt, where are you on this? I think it's 50-50 from a stats perspective. I did a whole, whole, whole breakdown recently, and believe it or not, while a lot of people think that there's a lot in Weiss's favor, there's actually a couple of things working against her um, that a lot of people I don't know have taken into consideration necessarily. You know, for example, uh, since SAG, you know, started in 1994, no Best Supporting Actress Oscar winner has ever repeated in this category. Uh, that's something to definitely, you know, keep in mind. Also, too, you know, the BAFTA uh, win is interesting because it was her only win for, you know, the whole uh, season from the major precursors. And the times that that has aligned up with the Oscar, it's only ever happened uh, four times in 24 years. Uh, that was in 1996, 1998, 2007. And in 2008, um, and 2008 was a weird year with Penelope Cruz and Kate Winslet because of category fraud. So uh, it's really, you know, and then the other years, you know, from the 90s, that's pre uh, uh, the BAFTAs moving to before the Oscars. So really, you only have the 2007 year where Tilda Swinton won the BAFTA, hadn't won Critics' Choice, SAG, Golden Globe, and then she went on to win the Oscar because that was kind of like a four-way tie year where they didn't know what to do, and they kind of just gave it to the last person that won, like, the last award, or, you know, it was a, it was a way to reward Michael Clayton as well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, man, this is, this is so tough. I mean, there's only ever been one instance where a contender won the Critics' Choice and the Golden Globe Award, uh, but did not win SAG or BAFTA, whether they were nominated or not. And that was in 1995 for Mira Sorvino. So you have to go back very far to that. 
Um, and only two women have ever won the Oscar without a SAG nomination, and that's Marsha Gay Harden, which broke every single stat law that there ever was yes. <laughs> in 2000, and then Jennifer Connelly in 2001 because she was nominated for lead actress in SAG instead of for supporting actress. Um, man, I, I have to say, even though the odds are not good for either one of them, and it is a really, really tough call, I know a lot of people are looking at that 2015 Best Supporting Actor scenario with Rylance and Stallone. I get that. I also get that the parallels continue with Beale Street being an underperformer and the favorite having a leading 10 nominations. For some reason, I just don't believe that history will repeat itself in such a perfect parallel with that 2015 race, because literally the parallels are exactly the same. Uh, the SAG winner was somebody who wasn't nominated for the Oscar. I mean, like, it's insane how scary um, the two races are to one another. But for me, the feel-good win is King. Um, I think King also is someone that there's reasons why she probably missed BAFTA and SAG. And it has nothing to do, I think, with the quality of the performance. Uh, so I, I I think that you could chalk that up to that. I don't know. Maybe it is wishful thinking, as some other people have pointed it out to me. But if that's true, then why didn't Weiss win elsewhere? You know? And that's the thing I keep asking myself. So I, I'm going to go with Regina King. I don't feel good about it. And, I mean, I don't think that people that are picking white should feel good about it either. I genuinely believe this is a 50-50 toss-up. Well, we shall see. And it's also worth noting that BAFTA did – apparently BAFTA was able to see Beale Street because they recognized it for adapted screenplay and score but nothing else. Yeah, but BAFTA also has kind of a wacky, weird history with black performers in films for some reason, so there's that. That's true. So so I guess with – okay, I guess now on to the two screenplay races, as we alluded to earlier. So so Matt, as you previously stated, Black Klansman is almost a lock, and if it wins LBGA tomorrow, then it's officially a lock. Uh, yes. Yes, that's how I feel right now. Um, if it doesn't win WGA – then I got to do – I haven't done this yet, but I haven't done a stats dive. Uh, I have to imagine, though, that WGA and Critics' Choice uh, is probably a very good combination for Beale Street to have going up against just a sole BAFTA win for Black Klansmen. But um, from a stats perspective, I would have to do some digging to find out how many years actually you know matched up and what also is the correlation in terms of having a Best Picture nomination and versus not – um, also previous winner, you know, Jenkins did just win this recently. So there's a couple of things I would have to really dive into in case if Beale Street does win WGA, but if Black Klansman wins, I, I think you can sew this one up. Yeah. I agree. I think it's between Black Klansman and if Beale Street can talk. Um, I mean, I love if Beale Street can talk. I thought the was amazing. You know, and Barry Jenkins won um, two years ago for Moonlight. However, Spike Lee is overdue for a competitive Oscar win. And if he's not going to win director, I would love for him to take home this award. Um, so, room for Spike, and I'm hoping that this is where he can uh, get his just due. Yes. And for original screenplay, as we talked about, the favorite is not eligible at the Writers Guild tomorrow because, well... So, therefore, we're left with a more of an open race, which we have Green Book winning there, unless we see some surprise by Roma or Vice or even First Reformed. So, so where do you stand on Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars now, Cordell? I think that – I think actually we're underestimating um, a split with Favorite and Green Book and First Reformed yeah. being the one to benefit, actually. You know, that Critics' Choice win for Screenplay was something that made sense – considering how well uh, First Reform did with the critics this year. But it was also still extremely surprising because for an awards body that likes to pride themselves on predicting the Oscar winners, um, you know, I, 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 there's never been a year, I don't think, if I recall, I hope I'm getting this correct, but I don't think there's ever been a year since the Critics' Choice has been around where they've had two uh, screenplay winners in the same year for Original Adapted that – none of them went on to win the Oscar that year. Mm. So, 
Well, we kind of almost did two years ago with the tie-in original screenplay between La La Land and Manchester by the Sea. Sure, yeah, that is true. But, I mean, you know, I so I am giving a lot of thought to... I mean, I know a lot of people were looking at the nomination as, as a win for Paul Schrader, uh, you know, and that's like, all right, we acknowledge you, you know, here's your Oscar nomination, you old fool you, you know, go on. Uh, but I wonder if, I do genuinely wonder if we're underestimating a split and First Reform being the one that benefits. Or even Roma. Oh, uh, you know, uh, that would be weird. I'm sorry. Like, I, that would just be very weird to me. <laughs> that is not the kind of... Uh, winner that this category typically produces. They like wordy films. They like films that ask, you know, thought-provoking questions. And, you know, they also typically do like uh, movies that uh, screenplay has become a place to reward. Um, I've noticed uh, filmmakers that are not winning stuff like Best Director or Best Picture, you know, like Spike Lee. I'm sorry, not Spike Lee. uh, Spike Jones winning for uh, Her is is an example, or Quentin Tarantino winning for Django Unchained, you know, so it would make sense for Roma maybe to pick up a win here in that regard, but Roma's winning director, we know this, when is Roma's winning picture, it doesn't need to win screenplay, oh, yes. and it's also not a dialogue-heavy film, I, I don't I don't believe that that's going to happen, so. Well, I'm with you there, though, if Roma pulls an upset, then that's a sign that's winning Best Picture. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, if that happens early on in the evening, I, I will rest easy knowing that Bohemian and Green Book are not winning Best Picture. I will be so happy. <laughs> and Alfonso will be the Adele of the Oscars. I mean, by the end of the night, he'll have, what, three or four Oscars in his hands? He won't be able to carry them all. He'll be dropping them all. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have picture, director, cinematography, and uh, and uh, screenplay. And yeah. While he does accept foreign language film, the filmmakers aren't the ones who usually keep the Oscars for foreign language film. I genuinely do believe that if the favorite's not going to win for Vice, it's not going to win director, it's not going to win actress, not going to win picture. This, the safe to me, the safe choice is the favorite winning screenplay. It's the safe choice. Yes. Um, if you want to get cute, you know, you can pick Green Book. It did win the Golden Globe. It probably will win the WGA. But if, like I said, but if Roma wins the WGA. I wouldn't even pick Roma to win the Oscar. I, 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 I would go to The Favorite. The Favorite is a film that, honestly, is so much more up their alley uh-huh. in terms of the kind of screenplay that they typically tend to reward. Yeah, and to your point, I think this is probably where they're going to reward The Favorite. Um, and also just also noted to point out that you know, you'll have a woman winning something like Behind the Scenes as there's no women nominated and Best Director, so that could also um, help the favorite win in this category. Um, and then oftentimes, in the screenplay categories, there's usually those surprise wins, too. So I could see First Reform pulling up the surprise, too. So those are my first and second choices. I yeah. Think it's third, and I hope it doesn't win. But knowing my luck, you'll probably <laughs> take it home. But I mean, like, you know, it depends on... I've, I've talked to a couple of people who have said, I'm picking Green Book to win picture, uh, screenplay, and supporting actor. So this way, uh, like, I'm not setting myself up for disappointment on Oscar night. And it's just the worst case possible scenario. And I'm just like, but you know what? Like, it, we've seen Best Picture winners in, in recent years with preferential ballot win with just an acting and a screenplay win. You know, Moonlight, 12 Years a Slave. Um, what, what is up with the in like the black themed films with uh, screenplay and acting win in picture? Uh, and then, oh, just Lupin green book with that oh it would just be such a travesty oh my god <sighs> it's gonna it's gonna be the favorite let's all just collectively like just know it's gonna be the favorite <laughs> yes, let's go with that as the safe choice right now yeah, so. yeah i mean once again uh i think that the, if i remember correctly i think the critics choice have a, a pretty good correlation with oscar in terms of predicting this category so I would give I would give some benefit over to first reform, but once again, uh, it's its only nomination. So, like, when was the last time that happened? Well, I know the last <laughs> time the film that wasn't up for best picture won original screenplay was your one of your favorite movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, back in two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, 
and, and that had a Best Actress nomination for Kate Winslet, at least, you know? Yeah, so... Uh, it if First Form had even Hawk here, I'd say the parallel there was stronger, but... I don't know. Yeah, we shall see, so... So I guess that does it for our discussion today. Thank you, Cordell. Thank you, Matt, for coming on to discuss. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no yes. So uh, before we go, uh, Cordell, where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Facebook. I'm at Cordell Martin. And then on Twitter at Ford IUB. Um, and uh, Matt, where can people find you and the next Best Picture podcast on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me on all the social media networks at Next Best Picture. Uh, the podcast is called the Next Best Picture Podcast. Type us into your podcast player. Um, I'm sure we'll come up. We're pretty much everywhere at this point. And if you have trouble finding us, shoot me a message on social media. Let me know, and I will make sure that I get the show out to you somehow, some way, because we definitely appreciate any and all film lovers out there who love the Oscars and want to hear our take on the award season race at nextbestpicture.com. All right. So again, thank you both, and uh, and uh, hopefully, I uh, know Matt someday. Uh, hopefully someday you 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 you. Uh, well, hopefully you can invite either me and or Cordell to be on the podcast. Oh, gladly, absolutely. You guys were fantastic here. I would be more than happy to have you guys on. All right. So thank you all for listening. We'll see you later. Thank you.